You are now listening to The Big Data Beard. So welcome back to another episode of the Big Data Beard Podcast. This is the first episode of season five, and it's a really special season because we're doing the entire season from an RV as we do this epic road trip to Splunk's Conference 2019. Uh, so with me is Kyle Prinz, who is back in less than 24 hours in the States. Uh, as you know, he lives in Australia, so he is uh, on fumes and then some. And we have a very special guest today. I'm really excited about this. Uh, we've been looking forward to having him on the podcast for months now. Jeff Champagne, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. And uh, he was uh, gracious enough to make the trek in rush hour across Manhattan <laughs> to uh, to record with us in Jersey City so we didn't have to fight the uh, Manhattan traffic. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So, Jeff, you are the director of... SE Global Programs Correct. Right yeah. at Splunk. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what that is, what that means, and what your job entails. Sure. So in our sales engineering organization, um, we have a strategy and ops uh, sort of overlay. So we're, we're broken out in different um, geographical regions, but my, um, my AVP I report to is Cody Harrison. He runs strategy and ops for sales engineering. And, and underneath that, uh, in the global program space, uh, I run a bunch of things that are around how we interact with our product management organization, um, how we uh, dive deeper into technical conversations with customers. So, so one program I run is called Pony Express, which uh, I always tell people is a silly name because Splunk is a silly company. Uh, you know, where fun is it's our, a Splunky our, company. That's exactly right. <laughs> fun is a is a is a core value at Splunk. Um, but anyway, that whole program is structured around uh, going out into all the different areas we do business, and we have really deep technical conversations with customers. So we do a lot of prep work ahead of time to figure out uh, you know, what's important to them, what challenges are they trying to solve, and then I'll put together a team of technical experts that either come from our architects team that I used to be on, um, or a specialist team out in the field, or sometimes even engineering, mm-hmm. and we go meet with customers. Uh, I also run... Um, our Voice of the Customer program, which you'll be hearing more about from us and maybe we'll talk more about later today, which is all around how we collect enhancement requests from our customers in our field and uh, and how we are, are more transparent about giving feedback about, yes, this is coming on the roadmap, no, it's not, and, and when it might be coming. Uh, and I also, we actually just did it today. Uh, I run our, uh, in, in collaboration with my partner in crime, Ryan Kovar, uh, run our field principal program. Mm-hmm. So if you ever meet a Splunker mm. who has principal in their title and they work in the field, uh, they go through this very arduous process uh, where you have to submit a project and it gets approved and you get a set amount of time that you get to work on that project. Um, and you have to present your, your progress before the principal review board and, and they get they vote you up or down on, on whether you go on to the next phase, which is pre- presenting in front of leadership like our vice presidents and everybody and, and that's how you get promoted to principal it's wow and we just did that review today so uh, we have a slate of candidates that, that at conf mm-hmm. presenting to management awesome um, and fingers crossed they have some awesome awesome programs uh projects that, that were worked on yeah, yeah. what what is it, what 
like entails of being like having a project. Like, yeah, so like? it depends on what background the candidate is in. So if they're a sales engineer, they or professional services, they typically are fairly technical okay. projects. Um, we've started to expand our principal program to all of our field folks, so mm-hmm. customer success managers, um, our business value consultants. So those tend to be more business focused. But the main thing that all projects have in common is that they are significant to our customers and our business. Um, in some way or another. So like one today, uh, my colleague uh, Philip Drieger from from uh, from Europe, uh, Germany actually, was uh, he built a whole project around machine learning and trying to take our machine learning capabilities and exposing them to true data scientists. So he mm. built a whole containerized project that container that that puts TensorFlow in a container. Oh, wow. If you want to run Splunk and do analysis using GPUs, you can do that now. Um, and he integrated, uh, I think he didn't create Jupyter Notebooks, um, into the experience so you can do a really cool work. It's, it's awesome. So it even um, sounds like product development as oh, well. Yeah. A lot of the stuff is, so if you're familiar with Security Essentials yeah. um, that David Verve started, and he's had a lot of collaboration since then, that was a principal project that started. Was I, it? Streams was also... Yeah, so Essentials for Stream, yeah. uh, which uh, Simon O'Brien, who just made principal... Uh, this last round that we did, uh, that was his project. Yeah. Huh. If you haven't downloaded it, I'm a huge fan of Splunk Stream. I think mm-hmm. it gets doesn't get nearly enough attention. Uh, and Simon felt the same way. And so he built an entire Essentials framework, and it has a bunch of use cases on how to use Stream. Uh, he built out a brand new demo environment for our sales engineers to go talk about it. It's super cool. You can download it today. And Philip's app on machine learning is actually going to be available. Um, he's doing a talk on it at Conf, and I think it'll be on Splunk Base by Conf. Um, oh, that'd be incredible. Yeah, there's there were there were some really really awesome projects uh, that, that we've reviewed today. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I just say that I think um, first of all we've used Splunk Base for a while, but in preparing for this road trip, we've definitely leveraged the full not the full but a lot of the really cool things that the community has done and the Splunkers have done. And I just, I'm always, my mind's boggled just how awesome some of those things on Splunk base yeah. are. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm blown away by the things that our principal candidates mm. create in Splunk. I just, every time I, I said this to my team today, like every time we see a new um, group of candidates come through, they just raise the bar on projects every, every single time. Yeah. Out of curiosity, what was your project? Uh, my project was actually, uh, the uh, sizing calculators. So, oh, no so kidding. it started off very small. Like we had a very specific problem. We had trouble sizing enterprise security deployments. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had done a bunch of internal testing uh, where product was hitting a, a various limits in the, or our, our performance team was hitting various limits in the product. And so we used to say, for example, that, you know, if you we had a we have a feature called parallelization and you could mm-hmm. you can do demo acceleration in parallel, and we used to say that you know once you turned more than four parallel acceleration searches on there were diminishing returns it really added no additional value, and I started to dig into our test framework about how we tested that particular setting, and discovered that there were some holes in the way that we were testing things. It mm-hmm. turns out that um, we weren't actually increasing the number of hot buckets on disk and the way datamo acceleration works when those acceleration searches kick off and that by default it's every five minutes if there's not a hot bucket available for the acceleration search to to read it just starts a search and shuts right back down mm, and so okay. that's why they were seeing diminishing returns and so i reworked the way we did the test plans and so when we 
uh, increase the number of parallel acceleration searches, we also increase the number of hot bucket, or sorry, we increase the number of parallel ingestion pipelines because that will create additional hot buckets. And that way we ensure that we always have a hot bucket for the acceleration search to run. Um, anyway, long story no, that's, short, that's I, a- I ran, I, so I, I worked with our performance team to to redo our test pattern there. And uh, and they've they've taken that and run with it. We've built a, a calculator, initially it was a standalone calculator. Now we have a um, Splunk Enterprise Core plus ES calculator that's mm-hmm. one. The team is working on adding ITSI into the mix. Mm. Um, it's still an internal tool, but my my hope is that we will get it out to customers um, yeah, that'd in the be next great. couple quarters, yeah. for sure, partners. Um, but the goal is it will be a public tool. Um, there's just so much stuff going on right <laughs> like, now absolutely. Yeah. That, that we want to add to it. So. Yeah, Does be- this also include hardware recommendations as well in the sizer? Yeah, so it, it the, the calculator shows... Um, it, you can select one of our, our reference specs. So yeah. we have all of our core reference specs as well as um, cloud reference specs. And then you can put in your own specific hardware. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't recommend specific hardware to you. You tell it the hardware that you're intending to use, and it will tell you how many of those things you need. Um, and then we're also working on integrating it with our um, Splunk validated architecture framework okay. that my colleague Stefan yeah. Siever, that was his principal project. Um, so you see a theme here. A lot uh, of great things coming out of the principal program. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to tie all that workflow together. So you you ask all the answer all the questions in the validated architecture um, questionnaire, which is becoming an automated tool right now. It's a it's a set of PDFs, um, and then that will give you a topology, and then you jump over to our sizing calculator, and it will tell you how many of those things to make up your topology. Very cool. So Kyle and I do a lot of sizings in our day jobs, yeah. and we do a lot with enterprise security. Just out of curiosity, what is your magic number for ingestion <laughs> per indexer per day? I don't in have my, one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> not enough nah, hard drives. No, I have to go into the details there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, give us a reason. Again, obviously, it's dependent on how many cores you have yeah. and a couple other different factors. But just, you know, how do you go into sizing and deployment? So I was having this conversation with a, a colleague of mine who's a director of one of the sales engineering teams out here, and he and I started as, as SEs at Splunk, and he was slacking me and was like, all right, I just need a number. We need to, like, do a finger in the air really quick. <laughs> Throw some spaghetti on the wall. Like, sure, no problem. Uh, and, yeah, you know, I, I would say our number of 100 gigs mm-hmm. still holds fairly true when you're mm-hmm. talking about, like, a um, base reference spec with 16 or 24 core servers. That being said... Um, that is 100% a finger in the air kind of number mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because we can do a lot better in, in most use cases. Okay. So it is when it is super dependent on the type of data you're bringing into Splunk, which is what the ES sizing calculator will ask you. So it, it asks by source type the the amount of data because that we map that on the back end to the data models that. Um, that that data is going to apply to. And then we've run a bunch of performance tests on the back end to know on average, how much compute power does a particular data model take us to accelerate? Um, and then the other piece that's important is your search load mm-hmm. um, because indexing is just like such a tiny bit of what the indexer or search peer, as we like to say, actually does. Um, so in some cases, you know, we've done upwards of 250, 300 gigs wow. per server. Wow. Um, it, it's super, super dependent on the type of data. Yeah. But that is something, I mean, it's, it's very intricate and somewhat 
difficult for somebody new to yeah. Splunk to kind of dig into. That's yeah. that's absolutely something that's commoditized within the Splunk sales team, though, and, and the local SE can yeah. help out with, right? Absolutely, and all these tools are available right now to uh, the sales engineers and the professional services team. Like I said, we're, we're working diligently on getting them out to our partners sure. and then ultimately to customers. And to that point, like if I'm a brand new Splunk user, it can be complex. And so what we're trying to do there and what the calculator has today is um, sort of like sample workloads. So you mm -hmm. can kind of say, yeah, I, I fit in a small-ish okay. deployment size or medium, and we, we will fill in a lot of the data for you. Um, but for customers that are expanding, which is a huge, huge piece of what we do, is... Uh, the team is building sizing calculators actually um, built out a tool and and we'll make it available where you can you can load it onto your Splunk deployment it'll gather a bunch of data points and then you can feed that into the calculator and it would tell you so then you have a you have a baseline to start from mm -hmm. and say okay well I want to expand from 10 terabytes to 50 or whatever yeah. and it'll give you that data that's great. So sticking on the architectural thread here, what are some of the challenges outside of maybe trying to size ES that you're seeing customers face in the field uh, when they're trying to either set up or stand up a new Splunk deployment or just you know scale large Splunk sure. deployments? Uh, I mean, when we talk about scale, um, the biggest challenge, so for example, enterprise security tends to be a big one just because it is pushing the limits on... Um, search because people create a lot of correlation searches or have a lot of information going on. You know, ITSI can can be um, has a different set of challenges, but its searches are typically looking over five minutes of data and mm -hmm. they're very fast. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, uh, enterprise security is a good canary in the coal mine, I would say, for a lot of our workloads, and, and we've been focusing on. Um, and so, data mod acceleration was a big rock that we um, got past. Um, we started looking at it really seriously in Splunk 6.6, and it's gotten better and better and better ever since then. Um, the next big piece that we took a look at was, um, you know, getting past the scale that a single search head provides you and really needing to be able to start using a search head cluster in an efficient manner. And there were some challenges there with enterprise security because you had to use a staging server to do your installations and growth mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And it wasn't necessarily fun. The team tackled that in their last release. So you no longer have to use a staging server with ES, you can just load everything on the deployer and we'll do the right thing. Um, and then the other piece that comes along with that, and this this isn't specific to enterprise security, but any deployment is um, knowledge bundles. So, um, you know, as your Splunk deployment grows, you have these things called knowledge bundles. A knowledge bundle is essentially all of the um, props, transforms, mm -hmm. lookups, all those things that exist on the search head. Um, we distribute those out to the indexers. A lot of people, I find, get this confused sometimes because you'll have a set of props and transforms that are doing search time, like field extractions and those kinds of things. And they'll put the configs out on the indexers because you kind of just put TAs everywhere, right? Um, but the only thing that matters out on the indexers is index time operations. Um, all the search time stuff or schema on the fly stuff is controlled by the search head. And the way that works is... Um, the search head or the search head cluster gathers up all those knowledge objects, all those props and transforms and lookups or whatever, and um, zips them up into a knowledge bundle. And the search head in a single deployment or the captain is responsible for distributing that knowledge bundle out hmm. to the indexers. And if you have a really large deployment, which, you know, if you're growing to a 50 or 100 terabyte deployment, you're going to have a lot of search peers. Um, that's a s sort of like single process operation mm -hmm. I mean, we can do it out in parallel 
uh, by default we do it to five at a time, but still that can take time. And if I'm trying to transfer a two gig file out to 600 peers, that's a bit of an issue. We've taken a really strong look at that. Um, we added some capabilities in our cloud to do just um, distributed knowledge bundles with um, S3 in the last release. And um, there's some stuff coming uh, you'll hear more about soon. Uh, I can't go into too much specifics, but we've, we've taken a really hard look at that that, that will get better yeah. um, with this next release. Yeah. So I, every time I talk with you, I'm always dumbfounded at just how deep and wide your depth is of Splunk. But... <laughs> How long I'm have you into been management now? So I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm stepping away. Uh, how long have you been at Splunk? Sure. And then when did you get started with it? And what what did that process look like? Because to me, it's like, oh man, I want to get to Jeff Champagne's level <laughs> of knowledge. It just seems like forever ago. But realistically, you started Splunk. I mean, yeah, what... yeah. Uh, so I've been at Splunk. Actually, just hit my fifth year anniversary um, last week. Yeah. Um, wow. Prior to congratulations. That. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Did they give you what's what's the the five year? The, the watch. No, <laughs> no watch yet. Um, a very I'm, nice crockpot though. I'm waiting for it in the mail. A license key. Yeah. A license <laughs> yeah. I, we do get those, but uh, you know, by the time I'm done with work, I, I just can't can't be, yeah. can't be bothered. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I uh, yeah, just hit my five year anniversary. Prior to that, I was a customer of Splunk's mm-hmm. here in in New York. Um, I worked for financial services company here. And, um, gosh, when did I, we were trying to solve some use case and my team had been working on it for like six months. And I remember being in a meeting and my, my VP was like, all right, this, this team's having trouble. Like I heard about this new company called Splunk. Can you like go download their software and see if it'll do what we need it to do? And I'm like, I don't know what this is. It's a weird, <laughs> weird sounding company. Yeah. And uh, I went and downloaded the software and um, deployed it out to 40 of our domain controllers and t- like literally 20 minutes later had the use case that we've been trying to solve done. Um, and that kind of, I mean, we bought Splunk the next week. Like that wow. sold, sold Splunk. It's, we still talk about, um, it's internally at Splunk, we, we talk about those things. That they're called Splunk. They're called aha moments mm-hmm. at, at customers. And it still makes me happy that those happen every day, but that was sort of mine. Um, and that was back in 2000, must have been 2011, because my first time going to .conf was 2012. Wow. Uh, it was, there was, I think there was like 1,400 people or something like Was there. that the, our, the third our one? Our sales kickoffs are bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Was that the third one? Oh. Uh, no, I... I I think they start. I don't remember what year we started. You were we pretty started, early something in something like yeah. that. It was one of the one of the first ones, but cool. yeah. definitely not the oldest time. I mean, I feel like an old timer now at Splunk. Five years is not that long as <laughs> Splunk's been around, but like when I started here, we were like just at a thousand employees or just mm-hmm. below somewhere in there. I, I need to look at. I looked up what my employee number was about a year ago, and I've already forgotten. But yeah. <laughs> it's probably grown by like fifty oh, percent I mean, by then, right? Yeah, we're we have like. 5x in size since then. It's crazy. absolutely incredible, and the size of Conf just gets bigger and bigger every oh year. Gosh, what yeah. is it? Uh, this year we're at the Sands Expo Center now, yes. looking at over yeah, we the 10,000 Cos- attendees. Yeah, we were at Cosmo, my first one, which is a great hotel. I loved being there, but um, yeah, I mean the number of attendees is 10x now. It's crazy. <laughs> absolutely incredible. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so speaking of Conf, it's only two weeks away. Uh, we're really excited about it. But what are you really excited about for this week event? Sure. Uh, Honestly, like the, I'm, I'm super excited about product announcements, and there's going to be some really cool stuff. And we've made some acquisition announcements recently, and mm-hmm. stuff. I'm, I'm super excited yeah. about hearing about all that. 
but from my team's perspective, so one of the programs I run is called Pony Express, and we actually run that at Conf. Um, so we're running uh, six meetings simult- uh, every day. So we run three simultaneously in the morning and an afternoon. Um, I'm just excited about talking to customers about stuff because especially now that um, – you know, the covers will be off some of this stuff. We can talk even in more depth and, and it'll be ready for people to go deploy. We've been running a lot of betas and LARs over the mm-hmm. summer, but actually having a lot of people be able to get their hands on stuff. I'm, I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've focused a ton on manageability and scalability from the core perspective. We've got some cool new things being announced and, you know, they, they announced some of that with Splunk next last year and, and we're running betas for, so all of that is starting to come to fruition, which is exciting. Yeah, and so at Conf, you, you're obviously you're going to be swamped. You're going to be busy. <laughs> Customers, friends, yeah. employees, everything. Yeah. Do you have a talk track at all? Are you going to be speaking actually. formally? Yeah, you know, uh, I normally give like last year I was insane and did like five talks. Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> um, I usually like submit a bunch. Yeah. Uh, hoping like one of them will get approved, and then like. And it's all kind of proof. Like, what do I do? Oh, it's Jeff Champagne, auto approve. Here yeah, we go. Yeah, I, I'm do- I am. I'm co-presenting a talk with one of my colleagues uh, here. Um, he's a sales engineer in in uh, New York, uh, Israel Bongard. I don't know if you've spoken to him, but he started at Splunk as a customer success manager. He was a previous customer, actually, uh, that I worked with um, prior at Morgan Stanley. Um, and we've we've worked really closely over the years, and uh, so. He has done a majority of the work on this, <laughs> this talk. I will give him full credit. I know for what it. that's like. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're talking. But I don't get full credit. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about um, essentially uh, getting down to a more granular security model on the product. So being able mm. to secure events, what I call at the row level, instead of being able to, like, I don't want to have to. Um, define security at my index level I want to secure individual events mm-hmm. um, we've over the years worked with a variety of customers on doing that um, it ultimately uses search filters under the covers to make that happen um, which do work but you need to know about uh, various caveats um, before you go down that road of using search filters to secure your data because uh, if you don't you can make decisions that potentially would result in in leakage of data which mm. is never good so uh, yeah we're gonna hold a comp talk about best practices around there and um, things hmm. to things to do and don't do which is fun and some of that actually is um, gonna be rolled into the product which is yeah so, it, it, last year I think we attended your smart store talk which uh, had quite a bit of information that yeah. we saw sprinkled yeah, out through good. the following year so if you're yeah. going to come off I highly recommend going to all five of, yeah, of yours of your side this <laughs> one you can look oh. them up on the replay I hate listening to myself oh it's the worst right yeah, yeah we have to edit Best this way later to get over that run a podcasting company yeah <laughs> but by a hundred episodes you're gonna be okay with listening to yourself yeah. uh, but smart store now that we brought that up that yeah. was a huge announcement from last year and you were uh, really tight with the team and did a lot of work there mm-hmm. a year later how do you see this feature within Splunk evolving and how, how has the last year been for smart store from an adoption standpoint yeah I mean uh, so our, our cloud is a hundred percent on smart store mm-hmm. now which is great um, and we're starting to see larger customers start to implement that actually in production um, for for big customers it can take a little bit especially to um, to just upgrade the software. Yeah. You, as you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. then uh, because Smart Store requires a new hardware component, uh, there's there's additional sort of lead times there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's starting to roll out, and I'm super excited about it because 
our customers are able to achieve some serious cost savings, particularly when you have long-term retention needs, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I, uh, we have some groups that have seven year retention times on mm -hmm. their data and those sorts of things. Yeah. And that becomes a real challenge when you have hardware stuck to index. Oh, the cost so, of scale is yeah. incredible. Yeah. So what's the new hardware requirement for smart store? So there isn't a specific requirement on your indexers. We, at least from a CPU perspective, mm -hmm. the, the disc that's local, um, it would. It all depends on what your cache size needs okay. to be, right? And so people ask me all the time, like, what's the most important thing, consideration when you want to implement SmartStore? The first is obviously you have to have an object store. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to have a S three compliant object store. Like, don't play the game unless you bring that to the table, right? Uh, and then the other piece is um, you need to th you need to think about and look at what are my users searching on a regular basis, mm -hmm. um, because we've had customers and even in Splunk Cloud. Um, initially, when we were first rolling this out, um, try to be very aggressive about the cache size mm -hmm. um, because you know we do analysis and and say okay most most searches are only looking at the last twenty four hours worth of data like I'm gonna size three days worth of data. Like that. <laughs> I'd say that's a little too aggressive because you want your cache hit ratios to be very high. Like yes. you want. 99% of the searches to be hitting the cache because if we're having to download buckets from the object store constantly, you're going to have a lot of read and write operations on your local disk, on the indexers that will just start to impact other things um, in a negative way. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing we look at is, okay, well, what are, what are my typical use cases look like? Um, and so like, for example, in Smart Cloud, we run the i3 instances. I think they've got, it's like, four terabytes of, of NVMe storage if you, wow. if you raid zero okay. or something like that, um, which generally for most customers ends up holding weeks worth of data. It depends on, on your use case, obviously, and how much data you're pulling in. Um, but when I start with customers, I usually recommend like, don't, don't ever go less than a week of, of cache space unless you really know your use cases. Um, other fun things they can do are... Um, you can for your newbie users <laughs> you can restrict the how far back they're allowed to look in their search <laughs> results um to prevent them from poisoning your cache um kind of a probationary a smart, period yeah always a smart idea that's, right like that's really yeah, smart brand new people like shouldn't be able to do all time and but that's know, where all the fun is right all time <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um and we're looking at ways to improve the the um the cache manager and how it handles all these things. And, and that has been working its way in, but these are always concerns you need to have. Um, yeah. So, and there's ways to look at that. You can look at the audit logs in Splunk and see what are, what are the typical time windows that my users look at? Hmm. Um, we're working on adding additional telemetry into the, into the logs that, that get captured in underscore audit mm -hmm. um, that will tell you sort of more data, more metadata about the results that were returned from every search. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that ITSI and enterprise security play in smart store sure. considerations? Yeah, I mean the biggest part, particularly for enterprise security, since we um, we rely on data model acceleration, so we didn't support enterprise security until Splunk seven three. Um, that's when we added official support for data model accelerations. Um, so that would be the biggest piece. And then again, the same sort of thing. You want to look at. Um, in there, typically it's your correlation searches. You might have a correlation search that runs once a day, but it looks back over a month or something like mm -hmm. that. You want to make sure you're sizing appropriately to be able to hold those data model accelerations in cache. That's the other cool thing about smart stores. We don't have to hold the whole bucket in cache. We can just hold the TSIDX files 
um, or balloon filters in cash. Um, so there's there's ways you can get a little creative about the sizing there, but you need to you need to obviously look back at um, what people are searching. ITSI is less of a concern because again, it's looking over for most indexes. It's looking over five or ten minute windows of data. Um, and the other cool thing about Smart Store is you can specify index uh, retention by index. So like my my uh, KPI summaries index, I could keep in cache for longer than I do other data hmm. on this block. So not everything has to be universally stored at the same retention exactly. time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Can yeah, you cool. do a traditional architecture smart store like together at the index layer yeah, as well? Yeah, so you, okay. can, you can run in like a hybrid mode, and that's actually how we recommend people transition to smart store is, mm-hmm. you know, you go in indexes.conf, you define a volume that points to, points to your... Uh, your S3 endpoint, mm-hmm. and then in each index stanza, you have a parameter called remote uh, remote path. And as soon as you define a remote path for that index and you reboot the indexer, it'll start uploading your data. But you can have a, a mix of of uh, indexes running in, in remote path mode or a, a smart store mode or what I call classic mode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that's totally fine. Um, you could do that. The only things you, you don't get with that is... Um, the sort of uh, elastic scalability where you can grow and shrink your deployments. Um, you don't have that if you don't have all your indexes in smart store mode because some of the data is still going to be tied to the individual indexer. Yeah. Um, I like that though, Splunk Classic. It's a, That'd it's be a really good bit. sticker. You know, like or, or a t-shirt. Fonts, Maybe that's the, the next Splunk t-shirt, that, Splunk you Classic. Know, that, yeah, that should be somebody's principal effort is designing <laughs> the Splunk Classic logo. <laughs> get that past yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I feel like Smart Store uh, was brought about, though, to help you know further the decoupling of compute from storage mm-hmm. and allow customers not just more flexibility, but really, honestly, to reduce the storage footprint so that they can continue to grow their Splunk environment to get the most out of their data. Are there some other things that Splunk's doing to help support that same theme yeah. and also to that point like it's it's moving splunk out of the sort of data resiliency business and mm-hmm. letting um purpose-built storage providers do that stuff for us right yeah enterprise, yeah. yeah splunk wasn't aware of storage level replication or all those sorts of things and and even um today like it's not fully aware it just depends on it being there and that's that's a good thing for us because we can um, rely on deduplication technologies mm-hmm. in the back end that are going to save customers money. Uh, yeah, to that end, though, I mean, I, I tell this all the time to customers, Smart Store really was our first step into this next evolution of what our architecture is going to become. Um, you'll start to see the first pieces of that come out in, in, in products where, where we've been talking about. So like Data Stream Processor is a fully microservice-based um, containerized infrastructure. Um, we have come out, so we have some customers dipping their toes into running Splunk on Docker um, mm. and and managing all that with Kubernetes. So if you haven't read the um, amazing blog post by my colleague in engineering, Mike Dickey, um, he runs our um, team that builds all of our tooling internally. So all of our test platforms that Splunk runs um, are all actually run in containers mm. and orchestrated with, with Kubernetes. Uh, so anyway, he, he wrote a whole blog post about it. We released an operator for Kubernetes, so you can literally spin up a 60-node Splunk cluster with one command line <laughs> or a YAML file. Like, uh, it's oh, wow. super cool. If you have not played with it, you should. Um, we have very large customers running 40, 50, 60 terabyte a day deployments in um, 
Kubernetes and Docker. Oh. Um, I right. will say, yeah, uh, it is not officially supported. So those okay. customers work specially with us to make those things happen. Um, we we support Docker today. We announced support for that at Conf last year, mm -hmm. um, but it's for sort of single um, deployments. But if you have, if you have uh, people out there, your customers are interested in doing that stuff, you should for sure engage with your account team because um, you'll be hearing more from us on that but, and, and read read Mike's stuff. And, and if it really interests you and you're at that kind of size, um, we we would love to get engaged. Oh, it's interested in that. absolutely exciting to see where this goes over the next year or two. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So um, I hear you're taking on a new role. <laughs> what What is this this shift in, uh, in, in where you're going with Splunk? It's with yeah. Splunk, right? Yeah, it's still okay. Splunk. I hear there's a bit of a voting aspect to it, which gets pretty <laughs> exciting. Yeah, so um, I mean, a huge piece of my job um, over this last year has been um, working with our customers and aligning with our products organization. And so um, I am going to be actually moving into our products organization and, and out of the field at Splunk. Um, <laughs> and I'm super excited about it because the whole focus is around... Um, a few few key pillars, but the I think the main one that the customers would care about is we have been working, um, and I, this is the project I've been working on in the field. Um, it just sort of belongs in products, I think, as an ultimate home. Is something we're calling voice of the customer, and it's all around how do we engage with our customers and our, our field organization, so all your account team mm -hmm. folks, um, on collecting enhancement requests, um, and how do we prioritize those? How do we triage mm. them internally? And, uh, and how do we communicate back to our customers and partners and field organization on uh, where, the, where these things will or won't land on our roadmap? Because yeah. sometimes I talk to customers, I shouldn't say sometimes, I talk to customers all the time <laughs> and partners, and uh, they, they just want to know. Like, mm. because that helps you plan. Like, am I going to, if I'm a CTO and I'm trying to budget my resources, if I can depend on certain things coming on Splunk's roadmap, I can shift dollars other places and augment in other ways. And so we're trying to be a much better partner in that sense. Um, and so we've been running a, a beta. I talked actually a little bit about it at, at .com last year um, of something we're calling Splunk Ideas, but uh, it's essentially a public facing portal. Um, that any customer will be able to log into and file an enhancement request. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to see anyone else's enhancement requests, um, and you can upvote them. Uh, <laughs> and we have a, actually have a whole workflow on the back end to where once uh, a particular idea or enhancement request gets uh, meets a certain number of votes, um, it automatically goes through a triage process on our back end, and um, we'll have SLOs around um, how quickly we can respond to those things. And, and like I said, the, the key is um, even if we're not going to do it, we intend to let people know at least like, yeah, you know, we, we think this is a good idea, but we just don't have space to fit it on our roadmap mm -hmm. in the next year, or we, we just don't see our ever, ourselves ever doing this or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I'm super excited about it. You'll hear more about that before the end of the year. So it sounds like it's kind of like a crowdsourcing of opinions. Now you get to understand where the yeah. majority of your customers are looking as far as features. Yeah. And we analyze that today. It's just, it's tricky right now. You know, when you file an enhancement request in our support portal, um, it isn't always aligned. Um, like we can do some matching on the back end to try to determine if people are asking for the same thing, but mm -hmm. it's, it's become a fire hose of mm -hmm. information, right? And trying to drink from that fire hose is difficult. Yeah. Um, especially as we grow, you know, like 
when I started at Splunk, I mean, we had a bunch of customers, but not nearly as many as we have now, and that's just grown and grown and grown, right? And our products have become more complex. To your point earlier, like, you think I know a ton about Splunk. Like, I feel like I know just, like, this. Scratching much. the surface. Because <laughs> um, we've started acquiring and, and oh, solutions it's... have grown. I was sitting down with um, Kyle Champlin, who's a PM on our enterprise security team, like, a couple weeks ago, and he was showing me things in ES, and I'm like, man... I'm so down in the weeds on architecture that I didn't even know we had this awesome functionality on the front end. Like, there's just so much to know nowadays. Yeah. Well, it's so smart though because you already Splunk already has a very rich community of people that exactly. you know Splunk answers Splunk all this stuff. People want to go and they want to participate and they want to vote or upvote or downvote. Now you're just you know extending that to helping drive a relevant roadmap for them. So that's really smart. Uh, what is the most common feature that you've heard from customers? Uh, just interestingly, what's, what is the most requested feature? Uh, well, that's hard to say because they're all categorized by mm -hmm. product line and, and everything. Um, so lately, <laughs> uh, because I've been doing so much core conversations with customers, I would say a big one, your question about the smart store, uh, is other other object store providers support for a smart store. I get that a lot. Okay. Um, what else have I heard? Um, the the search ad clustering simplification and that sort of stuff okay. is, is has been a big one, and we've been making a lot of inroads there. So like this, the knowledge bundle stuff was a big one. The enterprise security requiring a separate search ad uh, uh, staging server was a big one. Um, another one has been around. Um, our monitoring and capacity management tooling. So, um, and we're, we are taking a serious look at that as well. Um, I think the feedback I've gotten has been that there's a lot of really good information in monitoring console, mm -hmm. but sometimes you have to be an expert to understand it. Yeah. Um, and we've started to make inroads there. That's why we started adding in the health checks a couple mm -hmm. years ago. Um, that actually has become extensible so we can start shipping new health checks cool. that actually, um, was work inspired by another principal project, uh, Vlad Skorik. I don't know if you ever worked with Vlad, but he was on our PS team, super, super talented guy. And, mm -hmm. and he built a bunch of extensible health check frameworks and, and we're building upon that work. Um, but anyway, we're, we're trying to be way more guided in the experience that you get in monitoring consoles so that you can go there and know, is it healthy? Is it not? What do I need to do to bring this to a healthy state? Do I have capacity to grow my use cases? Those kinds of things here. That's awesome. So, Jeff, it's been super awesome having you on the Big Data Beard podcast and really to kick off this epic road trip to Conf. I don't, I can't think of anyone better to be on this to start. So, thank you so much. And we're really excited to hear about what you and your teams have done and what you're going to be doing this new role. So, congratulations on that. Uh, we do want to shift segments into okay. something that we call rapid fire. And okay. All right. First question. Yep. We're going to start. I'm a little nerdy. Okay. A little, a little technical. It's okay. not. What is your favorite Splunk command? Oh, um, I want to be biased and say it's a command I work with our FDSE team called Super Collect, which is a improved version of Collect. But actually, I think my my favorite command is Stats because yes. it's super stats. versatile. Mm -hmm. like the things you can do with Stats are amazing. Yeah. Only to be made better by uh, Data Fabric Search. Okay. All right. We'll have to hear more about that yeah, at Comp. You will. All right, question two. What piece of technology is currently making your life worse? <laughs> uh, piece of technology is making my life worse. I would say, um, man, I know this is supposed to be rapid fire. 
Um, <laughs> there's just so much going on in my house. So I have this um, Harmony remote that's like my whole house is smart home. I think yeah. that's probably most people mm-hmm. I talk to are. Uh, and it's definitely a love-hate relationship with this thing because it just really doesn't work most of the yes. time, which is super annoying. But there's like no other options. I There was like this remote called Neo yep. that I crowdfunded mm-hmm. and got it and it was looking good. And then Control 4 bottom, love you Control 4, uh, <laughs> but I can't afford you. And, uh, and, Enterprise solution for and home electronics. And now they don't sell at consumers yeah. anymore, so I have this like bricked product on my Oh mm-hmm. no. So. I have a, uh, a good one. Harmony. It's the Neo that's bothering more more than a har- Harmony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We hear a lot of smart home, but you're our first Harmony remote. To um, go into the I detail. Which I yeah. with you, too. It's a great product, but it just gets a little it's tricky. A little quirky. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite Splunk t-shirt saying? Um, it's the one, and I'm trying to remember. I'm going to screw up what it actually says, but it's... Um, it's the one about mom finding your faults just finding like mother. Just like mom. I think yeah. we yeah. have a sticker. I actually of that. gave that to my mom. She didn't really. Care <laughs> <for> <laughs> was not appreciative. No, no, she didn't care for it. Ah, oh, bummer. Yeah, maybe next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what TV show are you currently binging? Can be broadcast, Netflix, Hulu. Um, I am currently binging Big Mouth on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Is it? How is it so oh, far? Funny. Well, how, how many seasons That's, is that? They just started their third season. So I was I was on a plane back from the West Coast from from meetings last week, last night, and uh, I watched about six episodes. Well, <laughs> wow. we have six hours in the RV tonight, so oh, maybe we'll watch an episode or two. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like we need quiet time and Big Mouth on TV. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. It's awesome. not suitable for all audiences. I'll just caveat that. But, okay, uh, so yeah. check your local ratings. Yes. And then before you dive in, what is your favorite Splunk Base app? Um, or even most interesting garage product project you've seen. Most interesting Splunk based app. You know, I'll I'll tell you this one again because I'm super biased. Um, there is an app that my colleague Jim Don created. That's a recommendations app on. It recommends other apps on Splunk base that you might be interested oh, cool. in. And I'm biased on it because it was his principal project. And at the time, I didn't lead the principal team. I was I was a principal, and um, you know the existing principals vote on people's projects. And I said to him, if you can sneak an Easter egg into this app, <laughs> um, you just get my vote. <laughs> just just flat out. And so there actually is an Easter egg in his app that if you search for, I think it's. If you search for an app on Splunk Base called Jeff Champagne, which there is an app on Splunk Base called Jeff Champagne randomly, uh, it will trigger the Easter egg in his app. Okay. Really? We shouldn't have told you all that because it's a super hidden Easter egg. Well, I think he, fr- his uh, app will jump to top download. <laughs> yeah, the first thing that we're going to do after this. Big yeah. mouth and, yeah. <laughs> Same time. All right. Now, you travel quite a bit for work. Yeah. Uh, we just saw you in Australia you did. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So you just Good got over the jet again. lag. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? I'm not over the jet lag. Yeah. Neither uh, is he. No, I was asleep on the couch a few minutes ago. <laughs> uh, what is the next interesting place you're going to? Can be work or pleasure, but what gets you really excited to go visit? You know, I'm actually like super excited because we're ne- we're nearing the end of our our travels for this year. Um, uh, aside from Conf, the next big trip I have is. Potentially, it hasn't been locked in yet, but Melbourne, going back to Australia. Oh, no. Which I'm like, oh, I love Australia, but it's a long way. It's ways. great. But it's a long flight. Uh, come on. Uh, 
Melbourne. You know, everybody <laughs> told me Brisbane was terrible, and I had a lovely oh, time. Oh, I love Brisbane. Yeah, yeah it's great. Uh, so anyway, that's the next big one. Uh, sort of the end of the year has been, I've kind of blocked off because I'm trying to transition into this new role, and I'll go to San Francisco a bunch. But Yeah. Sweet. Well, maybe we'll see you in Melbourne in the uh, middle of November. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. See you down there. <laughs> so, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on the sure. Big Data Beer Podcast. We'll see you in a few weeks at Conf. I'm stoked. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. This amazing adventure would not be possible without our incredible sponsors. We thank you, Dell Technologies, VMware, Red River Technologies, Aero Electronics, and Converging Data for making the road trip to Splunk.conf 2019 possible. And be sure to smash that thumbs up button so we can keep the episodes coming. Until next time, keep being awesome.